Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. very beginning really of this 21 days of dedication this third year in a row we've done this there's a fasting component that's tied to these 21 days some of you are doing that fast we're calling it a it's a Daniel fast a a partial fast and there's some resources if you want to click that behind it's recipes and like to be honest if you're following the fast the recipes don't help it's like it's (laughs) lipstick on a pig no no meat no dairy like what I mean what I I don't know what you've got. It's just dressing up vegetables at that point. So, y'all, you can click through, and maybe it makes you feel better. I made something last night, and my son was like, that just looks sad. That's what he said. That's just sad. So, three weeks of sadness, and, and, and then we'll be done. All right, so other ways, there. My, my hope for us, honestly, is that these three weeks set the trajectory for us for 12 months. The thing I'm wanting for us, kids, students, and adults, is for us to grow in confidence in Psalm 23. That first line, you all know it, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I lack nothing. I want us to be able to say that confidently. So Psalm 23, it's called a psalm of confidence. There's five or six of those, and they're, they're rare. There's 150 psalms, and this Small collection, five or six, is unique because these five or six psalms, they don't ask God to do anything, and they don't thank him for anything that he's done. They're just expressions of confidence in who he is, in his character, and in his actions. And as we read Psalm 23 over the next three weeks, you'll realize that like there's no, there's no asking and there's no thanking. There's just declaring. It's, almost a, it's from the perspective of his sheep bragging on his shepherd or its shepherd saying, look at the way my shepherd is taking care of me. That's Psalm 23. And I want us, wherever you are on that continuum today, if I made you give yourself a rating, how confident are you that God is your shepherd and therefore you have no need, you don't lack anything. If you're a two or if you're a nine, there's room for us to grow. And that's what I'm wanting, that on December 31st, we can all say that more confidently than we can today on January the eighth. So that, that, that's long term. And as part of that, my challenge for us is I want us to read the Bible through in a year. So last year we focused on that, that extended time away. We did the four hours in the wilderness and I kind of hammered that. And it was, I was so grateful for the number of you that participated. And I know for many of you, it was really helpful. For some of you, you did it and you're like, eh. but most, for many of you, it was really helpful. And if you want to do that again, that would be great. It's a great thing to incorporate into your spiritual life. I'm not going to push it this year, not because it's not important, just because I I can't push everything. So the thing I'm going to push this year is reading the Bible through in a year. And if you hear that and you're thinking, there's no way. If you started today and you read four chapters a day, that's 20 minutes max, you'd be done on November 1st. Like It's really not that much when you break it down. There's, there's plenty of time to do this. And so we've got, you may find your own plan, and that's wonderful. If, if being a part of community is helpful for you, you can click that QR code on the screen. It'll take you to a couple of plans that we are linked to on our website that allow for interaction and comments and that kind of thing. You certainly don't have to do that, but if that level of interaction and even accountability is helpful for you, then you can follow one of those two plans. But the big picture for me is, is I want you to read the whole thing this year through the lens of the Lord is my shepherd. Like, what does that actually mean? I don't know about you. I actually don't know any shepherds. 
And the only sheep I've ever been around are in a petting zoo. So there's a lot that I don't know. And so we're going to try to, un- we're going to unpack some of this over the next three weeks through Psalm 23. And then as you're reading over the course of the year, the glasses I want you wearing when you're reading the Bible is how does this reveal the, the, the truth that, that God is my shepherd? If we want to grow in confidence, it's helpful to know exactly what we're talking about. When David wrote Psalm 23, he was a shepherd. He knew what he was talking about. It was a meaningful metaphor for him. For many of us, it's just, if, if I was asking you and saying, describe Jesus, that's not one of your words. If it is, it's just because you've read Psalm 23. It's not because shepherd actually means anything personally to you. Again, most of us, we got no context for that. So I want you to read through in the, in, over the course of a year. When you fall off the wagon, and we all will, I want you to just get back on. I'll, I'll remind you every month, but uh, we do want you to go ahead and, and begin to do that. And I would challenge you and encourage you to do so. Again, you don't have to do it with us corporately, but find a plan that works for you uh, and start working that. For the next three weeks, as I said, we're going to look at Psalm 23 on Sundays. Uh, Again, most of us don't have a lot of context for shepherds, so we're going to spend a little bit of time doing this. And I'm going to use a book by a guy named Philip Keller called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Philip Keller was born in 1920. He was uh, raised in Africa. And for us, what's most important is he was a shepherd. In the early part of his career, he was a shepherd, and he went on and got a degree in agronomy and kind of did land management and things like that. He died in 1997, but he wrote a book in 1970 called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and we're going we're gonna to use that. We've got a few copies out on the, uh, by the TV. If you want to check one out, you can buy one from Amazon for $8, and I, I, would just, I would encourage you. Again, it's someone who's saying, here's what a shepherd hears when he reads Psalm 23. Here's some background on sheep and some background on shepherding that helps kind of fill out the picture of what David means when he, when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I, tried, I read the book 15 years ago and I didn't finish. Like it didn't do anything for me. I read it last year and it was one of the two most influential books of my 2022. So it's timing. So for some of you, it's not going to resonate at all. But for others, this might be a, a spot in your life where this truth that Jesus is a shepherd is really encouraging to you and something that you most need to hear. And I am going to be referring to Jesus as our good shepherd, but you know, Psalm 23 was written a thousand years before Jesus was incarnated. It was before Mary and Joseph, before their, their parents, their grandparents, and their great-great-grandparents. It's, it's, again, it was written a thousand years before Jesus was born. The Lord, that's a, that's a proper name of God, Yahweh. We would say God the Father is our shepherd. You go all the way back, I think Genesis 49 is the first place that God reveals himself as a shepherd. It's something that he's always desired to do. It's a way he's always desired to relate to his people is as a shepherd. When the people, when Israel asked for a king in 1 Samuel, God wanted his desire for kings was for them to be shepherds. That was the word that he used. That was the job description. Be a shepherd. The kings of Israel, they didn't do a great job. And so by the end of the Old Testament, God's saying, I'm not, we're not doing this anymore. I'm going to be your shepherd again. And I'm going to do that primarily through this one I send, the Messiah. That's Micah 5.4, a messianic prophecy saying, I'm going to send a Messiah. And he's going to be a true king. And he's going to be a good shepherd. And then Jesus in his ministry grabbed that label explicitly and applied it to himself. He took that name tag and put it on himself. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said that in John 10. And so we're get, I'm going to say Jesus is the good shepherd because he is, but I want you to recognize that relationship goes all the way back to Genesis. This is not some new development. God has always desired to shepherd his people and for us to see, to see him as such. 
A, a word that I'll use is manage, which is a very cold kind of bureaucratic word, but it's a good one. It, it's to say Jesus is our shepherd is to say he superintends or he governs or he manages our life well. He cares well for us. So you can maybe think of both of those words, manage and care. You have both of those things going on when we say Jesus is a good shepherd. So we're going to read. Whoa. I don't know what that was. Hopefully it didn't break. Psalm 23. We're going to read it, and then we'll look at the first few verses today. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Your Bible might say he restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Your Bible may say along uh, paths of righteousness, the same thing. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So again, we'll use those first three verses this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or I lack nothing. So that's a thesis statement, and everything else are bullet points underneath it supporting that statement. To say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is not to say the Lord is my shepherd, I get everything that I want. And it's also not to say the Lord is my shepherd, my life works out exactly as I want. So David wrote this, we don't know when, but if you know anything about him, his life was not rainbows and butterflies. Saul tried to kill him multiple times. He spent a good chunk of his life as an exile in the wilderness. He made some egregious choices, adultery and murder. And even though he was forgiven of those sins, the consequences continued to play out for years. His own son led a rebellion and tried to kill him. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I don't want you to have a picture in your mind of, oh, this is a prosperity message and God's my shepherd, so I'm going to get everything that I ask for, or God is my shepherd, and that means I'm not going to experience any difficulty in my life. Again, think through the lens of care and management. The Lord is my shepherd. There's nobody better to, to manage my life. There's nobody better to govern my life. There's nobody better to superintend my life. He cares for me better than anyone else. So good times, bad times, joys, pain, surprises, frustrations, disappointments, blessings, all of it, he's my shepherd and he leads me through that well. That's what I want you to have in your mind. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He manages and cares for me better than anyone else. That's the boast of David in Psalm 23, and I want that to be our boast as well. And then, and then this, these bullet points underneath it. He, three things we're going to look at today. One, Jesus, or the good shepherd, he provides the conditions that allow a sheep to rest. The good shepherd, Jesus, he provides the conditions that allow a sheep to rest. So Keller says, sheep are fidgety and fearful creatures. They don't rest well. They don't lie down. When we read that, he makes them lie down. Some of us, we kind of make. That sounds like he's forcing the sheep to do something they don't want to do. And that kind of gets us a little, kind of get our back up a little bit. Nobody's going to make me do anything. So this is the exhausting the limits of my understanding of sheep. So they eat grass. You knew that. And then they need to ruminate. So they need to lay down. And this is gross. So what they ate, they regurgitate and chew it again. <laughs> Filthy. But that's how they, that, that's the digestive system for them. And then that's what allows them to get fat and strong. 
So if they're not ruminating, they're not getting healthy. So to make a sheep to lie down or to cause a sheep to lie down, it's for its own good. Apart from that, it's not going to be healthy. And again, according to Keller, sheep are fidgety and fearful creatures, and they're not going to lie down if they're afraid. You've seen a sheep. They've got nothing in a fight. All they can do is run away. No defense mechanisms, certainly nothing that's going to intimidate a cougar. And so if they're nervous about predators, they're not lying down. Free from, free from fear of predators in order for them to lie down. They have to be free from friction within the flock. So as with all animals, there's a hierarchy. And that hierarchy is established and maintained through conflict. Dominant animals budding, ramming into younger, weaker, submissive animals. And so a, a sheep is not going to lie down if it feels like it has to protect itself, protect its territory, it's not going to rest. It's not going to be able to lie down because it feels like it's got to guard its turf. A sheep won't lie down if it's being pestered. Sheep apparently are very susceptible to multiple kinds of flies, and they drive them nuts. And so if that's going on, if these sheep are being attacked by flies, they're not going to lie down and rest. They run into kind of bushes and stuff like that to try to create some relief. And then, of course, they're not going to lie down if they're hungry. The food doesn't come to the sheep. The sheep have to go to the food. You know, they, they're grazers. And so if they're, not, if they're not full, they've got to stay on the move. The shepherd is the one that provides for all of those things. Again, according to Keller, if you see a healthy sheep, then you're guaranteed there's a skilled and caring shepherd behind it. Sheep don't take care of themselves. They're creatures of habit, and most of their habits are self-destructive. And so the shepherd is the one that has to do the work. Even if you see a green pasture, I didn't know this, apparently best sheep territory in the world is semi-arid, which is not green. So if you're seeing a lush pasture, it's because the shepherd's done the back-breaking work of preparing this field, clearing it of rocks and stumps and bushes and then planting good grass and legumes and making sure that the whole thing is vibrant and lush. All of it is the work of the shepherd. The sheep's well-being is 100% dependent on the skill and care of its shepherd. And you can see all of those parallels. You don't need me to draw those parallels for you. We don't rest if we're fearful. We don't rest if we're at odds with another person. We don't rest if we're being irritated by just the, the annoyances of life. We don't rest if our needs are not being met. And you can fill in those blanks, what those things look like for you. But again, the shepherd, he's the one who protects from danger. He's the one who, his presence calms these inter-flock rivalries. He's the one who, who provides insecticides and dips the sheep so that they're, can, they're, they're free from these pests. And then he's the one, again, who leads them by to both green pastures and to the waters that they need. Sheep, when they get thirsty, they just drink whatever's around, even if it's muddy, which then leads to parasites and all kinds of bad things. It's a shepherd's job to lead to water that's clean and pure. Jesus, for us, that's what he does. He provides the conditions so that you and I can rest. Think about Matthew 11, that famous verse. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In context, Jesus is talking about rest from the relentless legalism of the Pharisees, this idea that our relationship with God is wholly dependent upon our behavior, on our activity, on our obedience. 
It's a huge burden. We've talked about this before. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament. And then the rabbis, with the best of intentions, added this entire other oral law around that written law in order to protect it. And at some, it was just it was incredibly burdensome. There's 39 categories of things you can't do on Saturday. 39. And under each category, they're bullet points. It's overwhelming for regular people to think, I can't keep up with all of that. I can't even remember all of it, much less obey it. And Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That, that's not the key. The kingdom is here in me. And if you repent of your sins and you put your faith and your trust in me, then the kingdom is available to you. The father adopts you into his family because he loves you. Out of his grace and out of his mercy, your obedience matters. It's just not foundational. What's foundational is God's choosing of you. It's Jesus' obedience that our relationship with the Father is based on. His obedience unto death on the cross. And then our obedience is secondary. Our relationship is secure. It's based on his love for us, which doesn't change. Not our performance, which is up and down. He came to to give us rest. He, He provides the conditions for us to rest. We don't have to strive and struggle anymore to enter into a right relationship with God. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how many spiritual, about your spiritual life. It's not about whether or not you fast over the next 21 days. That's not it. Those things are not the foundation for your relationship with God. It's his great love for you, which is unchangeable. It's rooted in his nature, not yours. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares or your anxiety. That word is normally translated worries of this life. Cast the worries of your life on him for he cares for you. That's to me a very practical way of entering into this rest. There's this fundamental recognition that my relationship with God is not based on my performance. It's based on his love. And that's something that you kind of have to get in your head and your heart. There's, there's a revelation there. And we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us into that truth. But then there's the, what do I do on Monday? How do I, how do I remain in that rest? And one of the things that robs most of us of rest is the worries of life. And that's, that's not necessarily bad things. Usually they're good. If you're worried about it, normally it's a good thing. It's something you care about. Sometimes those worries are what we would consider kind of monumental, and sometimes they're much more mundane, but they're anxieties for us. And what Peter says is cast, throw, throw all of that stuff on him. And most of us, honestly, we're not good at that. Maybe if we're super disciplined in our quiet time in the morning, we kind of acknowledge those things and say, God, you take care of this. But then as soon as we get started with our day, we pick all that stuff back up. And by the end of the day, we're kind of dragging. What would it look like for you to cast your cares on him? All of the worries of this life, the worries of your primary relationships and your finances and your health, when thinking about your future, your job or your education, what would it look like when every time one of those things pops into your mind and you're tempted to worry, what would it look like for you to cast that on him? Throw it at him. Jesus, I'm throwing this at you. You, can, you catch it and you take care of it. It's not a license for us to be irresponsible, but it's certainly a, li- a license for us to live at peace and rest. He creates the conditions for us to do that. Second thing, he restores our soul. Your Bible may say he refreshes our soul. That word restore, it's a salvation word. It means to return to a prior preferable point. It's a lot of P's. To return to a prior preferable point. So apparently there's this thing, they're called cast, C-A-S-T, 
cast sheep. So sheep roll over on their backs, and then they can't roll back over. <laughs> Helpless. And they're not, it's not just silly, it's actually really dangerous. It's not just dangerous because now at this point they can't run away from a predator, which is the only thing they had going for them in the first place. Just laying there on their back, they'll die. If it's a hot day, within a few hours they die. It's all the, it, it doesn't matter. Digestion processes, gases build up, blah, 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 cuts off circulation and they die. If it's a cool season, they can live for two or three days like that. But that, that picture of, you know, the, the, the shepherd who's counting the sheep, the reason they're counting the sheep is because they do that. And somebody's got to go get them or they're going to die. So he's got to know. That's why he's counting them, is to figure out, did they all make it back? Because if they didn't, I got to go get them because they're not going to be able to roll back over. You can read the book to see all the, you know, there's tons of parallels for what causes them to roll over. They get, their wool gets too big. They get too fat, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. For our sake. What we need to see about Jesus, our good shepherd, is he comes looking for us. He restores us to a prior, preferable point. So the way this happens is the shepherd finds a sheep or he sends out his dog and his dog finds him and he comes running. Then he has to put the sheep upright, a couple hundred pounds. Then he has to straddle it because their legs are asleep and they'll fall down. And then he rubs the legs of this sheep until they get the blood flowing again. Does that make you want to be a shepherd? No. That's what they're doing. Every time one of these sheep rolls over, that's what you're doing. You are sprinting to it, picking it up, straddling it, rubbing it until it, the circulation in its legs is back flowing so it can walk. That's what Jesus does for you. And that's what he does for me. He's always on the lookout. Who's rolled over and they can't get back up? We can think about that in terms of salvation, that initial rescue. We can't save ourselves. But there's an ongoing nature of that as well. For some of you, even though it's a silly picture, that's you this morning. You're, you're stuck and you can't move forward. You're like a helpless sheep. For whatever reason, you're on your back and you're realizing, I can't, my effort is not getting me back right side up. And you need somebody to restore you to bring you back to a prior preferable point. Ideally, that's, and ultimately, that's relationship with God. A different picture of the same reality from John 15, that idea of abiding. We tend to drift. Sometimes we intentionally run, but usually it's unintentional drifting. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to call us back and to reestablish that ongoing connection and dependence upon the Father and upon the Son, He restores our soul. He draws us back into that vital relationship with the Father. And the last thing, and this is probably the one thing that we get with shepherds. If I had said, give me a word to, to say what a shepherd does, it's what most of us would say, he leads. In, in the ancient Near East, shepherds led from the front. They didn't drive from the back. So the sheep followed them. They could see them and they followed them. Think about Jesus' essential invitation to us at, at the very core. Follow me. That's what he says. Follow me. And that's what Jesus asks of us. So apparently, as I mentioned earlier, sheep have are creatures of habit. And most of those habits are self-destructive. One of them is if you leave them in a particular field, they'll eat it to, literally to death. They'll eat the roots 
out of the ground. So that it takes years for a field to recover. According to Keller, one of the most important things a shepherd does is he rotates. He moves his flock from field to field to field. He, he never lets it stay a flock stay for too long. He said for him, it was every week he's moving to a new field. And that's where most of his work went, was planning, where am I taking this flock? And setting up kind of a, a rotation among his fields so that both the sheep and the land can flourish. That's a picture of our relationship with Jesus, isn't it? He's not static. He's always moving and our responsibility is to keep our eyes on him that hebrews 12 we talked about last week fix your eyes on him focus on him with attention don't get distracted we're looking at him oftentimes we can't see the destination but we don't have to as long as we can see him and if we trust where he's leading us another way of talking about it but keep in step with the holy spirit that's galatians 5 John 10, Jesus' sheep know his voice. It's all different ways of saying the same thing. Follow him. He knows where he's going. He knows what's best. To be able to confidently say, the Lord is my shepherd, is to say, I'll follow him. That field looks better to me, but he's going over there, and he knows best. So I'm going to go with his direction over my opinion. I'm going to lay down my will and my agenda in order to follow him because he's the the best. He superintends, he governs, he manages my life better than anyone else. And so if he says it's time to move on, I'm going to move on. Some of you physically will not be in this room next year. You're going to move this year to a different place. You don't know that yet, but you're going to move. You're going to get another job. You're going to get transferred. Something's going to happen. Some of it's going to be tragic. You're going to go to take care of a parent or something like that. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about, although that's the most tangible expression of following him. But for most of us, it's, that's more, it's, it's more metaphorical. He's moving through our circumstances or he's, he's leading us in the already set patterns of our life. And we want to be aware of what that looks like and our engagements with the people that we love most. Our engagements with people we're just meeting, the way we kind of carry out our business. And we want to keep in step with him. We want to follow him. He knows the right paths. And if we stick with him, then those are the paths that will walk, the right ones and not the wrong ones, will be the ones that we walk down. All right, here's what I want us to do. We've got a few minutes. I want you to close your eyes. Long intro into ministry and prayer. I'm going to ask you three questions. If you're on the ministry teams, you can come forward. Three questions. One, are you lying down? Are you resting? I want you to think about particularly, I want you to think about your heart. Is your heart at rest? the answer is no what are you afraid of where's their friction what's irritating you what needs are not being met would you allow us to pray with you about that Jesus is the only one who can create the conditions where you're going to feel comfortable resting so would you ask him to do that Second, 
you need to be restored this morning. That could be in the biggest sense of that word. You've, you're estranged from Jesus. And today's the day that you, you're ready to come home. For many of you, it's not, it's not, it's not that. Maybe it's the kind of the getting back into your routine or you kind of got knocked, knocked around a little bit during the holidays. And if you're honest, you'd say, yeah, that's kind of me. I'm, I'm kind of on my back and I could use some help. Would you ask him to come and restore you, to reconnect you to him and to the Father? And that last question, is he leading you? And maybe a better question is, are you following him? In every area of your life, are you following him with your finances and with your family? Are you following him with your job and your school? Are you following him with how you use your time? How you're thinking about your future? Holy Spirit, I pray for each one of us kids and students and adults both today and for the next 12 months that you would lead us more deeply into the truth that Jesus is our good shepherd. And I pray that every one of us with an increasing level of confidence would be able to say, I have no want. I don't lack anything. He takes better care of me than anybody else, including me. He governs, he superintends, he manages my life better than anyone else. God, I pray as we read the Bible that you would open our eyes to the truth of what it is for you to be our shepherd and for us to be your sheep. I pray that we would rest in that relationship, that we would recognize all of the things that you choose to take responsibility for as our shepherd, that then we don't have to worry about, that we would know what it is to lie down and green pastures. We would know what it is to be led by quiet waters. We would know what it is to be restored, moved back to a prior preferable place. We would walk in right paths for your glory and for your honor. And would you begin that work here this morning in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 